So I was listening to a podcast the other day, and it was about communication and your posture with communication. So I was like, interested. I'm like, oh, that's kind of an interesting topic. And so as I was listening to it, they talked about, you know, your body language can communicate something, right? And, you know, got to be careful that you, you don't send mixed messages. So they said stuff like, if you're trying to connect with someone, don't cross your arms, you know, as I'm preaching, if I preach to you with my arms crossed, half of you just checked out, you know, you're just like, I don't want to hear this. I mean, just something about body language does communicate. And uh, then they, but that wasn't the most interesting part. The most interesting part was they talked about your posture in general. And I thought, well, I need this because I have really a bad posture, right? So, uh, and so they were talking about posture that your head weighs about between 10 to 12 pounds, right? And if you look down at your phone, the strain on your neck triples the weight of your head. So your melon now becomes a 30-pound melon when you're looking down at your phone. So moral of the story is look at your phone like this to kind of help with the posture. But posture is really important. Posture in regards to relationships is important, how you approach relationships. But something we, maybe you've never considered is what is your posture when you're trying to repair a relationship? What's your posture in trying to reconnect with someone who's been disengaged or, or this relationship's disjointed or it's on the fritz? How, what, is it, what does it mean? Because I think your posture and how you approach and repairing a relationship is so vital. Because that's what we want, don't we? No one wants to have a, a core relationship in their life that's on the fritz. And, and we really want to, right? We want to have a relationship restored or repaired. Or at the very least, we ought to want to, right? We ought to want to. But, but the problem is not the fact that we don't want it to happen. It's the how-to. And I think a lot to, has to do with the postures. How do you repair this relationship? And what kind of posture do you need? Because it is, uh, the posture of humility is vital in repairing a relationship in not just a posture, but it's the process of this learned skill. That's why we've been in this series for four weeks talking about uh, a beginner's guide to repairing broken relationships. Because I feel like this is something we all need, and, and some of us in here are like, Justin, I cannot wait till you're done with this series. Good news, it ends today, right? Uh, because this is a tough matter. This is, and, and it's just, there's so much on this, and I feel like we all, or not all of us, but for, for a lot of us, we approach in our posture and our process of trying to repair the relationship we go all of the wrong things. We try to convict or coerce or control. And, it, and our posture really does make a difference on how, if by building the bridge, if it's going to be reciprocated from the other person. And I, I got to tell you, as, as I'm going through this, the thing that keeps rattling my brain about how to repair a relationship is the idea of being a, you know, a parent or a grandparent becomes almost not absolutely vital. Because you, whether you'd like to admit it or not, are modeling what to do in repairing a broken relationship to your kids or maybe your grandkids. And, and think about this. And I, I mean, I don't want to put on all the pressure because, I mean, this is, I mean, but think about it. Your kids are learning because more stuff is caught than taught 
Amen, right? More stuff is caught than taught. And so you are modeling for your kids what it means to restore and repair a broken relationship. And how important is that? Because there may come a day where the relationship between you and your kid is broken. And they need to know, what do I do in order to repair this broken relationship? So what we've been doing is we've been looking at Jesus' life. In Jesus' teachings. In fact, uh, Paul said this, that we need to have the same mindset in all of our relationships with one another. We need to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So we need to take our cue. Well, how did Jesus repair relationships? How did Jesus approach relationships? And this series is so dangerous that we have a disclaimer with this series each and every week. The disclaimer is this, that even though you are going after and going to help build a bridge, there is no, there, there's no guarantee that they will re, uh, reciprocate that relationship. And there are some people that are so toxic, so dangerous that you should not restore a relationship with. Now, before you get too excited about that, I think it's important because some of you are like, there's a lot of people that are toxic and dangerous. We can't use that as an excuse. That's why I feel like we can't determine if someone's toxic or dangerous. We're going to need another godly person or maybe a counselor help us figure out, is this person really toxic or am I just simply making an excuse not to restore or build a bridge to that person? Because even Paul said that even you do everything right on your end, there's no guarantee that they will reciprocate. Because in Romans 12, uh, 18, it says, if it is possible... Maybe there's room where there's, it's not possible. And as far as it depends on you, and as far as it depends on me, we need to live at peace with everyone. Now again, because I'm building a bridge, there's no guarantee that they'll walk over the bridge to restore that relationship. But the goal really is to live a life of no regrets, especially in regards to relationships. That in regards to this relationship I'm trying to re-engage that's already a strained relationship, I'm going to do everything in my power to build a bridge, but they're still their choice of whether they're going to re-engage with me. But the point is no regrets. The point is that I did everything in my power. So we've been looking at four distinct intentional decisions on what does it look like to build a bridge? What does it look like to build a bridge to that person to, that is strained? It's a strained relationship. It's, they're disengaged. They're, it's, uh, and, and it's broken. What, what do we need to do? What does that bridge look like? We always said it looks kind of like four intentional decisions. Uh, it, it looks like, first of all, it's a, it's a process and a posture. That this idea of repairing and building a bridge to someone is both the posture we need to have and it's a, pro- a slow process that we need to be committed to. And the first one is, we said this, was I will get back to, not get back at. I'm going to get back to them. I'm going to not just get back at them. And what we're basically committing ourselves to is that we need to do for others what our Father in Heaven has done for us. And what did, if you're going to sit there and say, well, what did God do for us? Well, this is what God did for us in John three seventeen. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And there's not a clause for all the people that had their act together. He sent his son into the world for people despite or in spite of their behavior. 
And so he sent, and so he built the bridge to humanity. In fact, I love what Paul said in 2 Corinthians. He said this. He says, all this is from God who, help, help me with this word, reconciled. Reconciled us to himself through Christ. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And he did something for us that we didn't do. He extended that. He didn't just forgive us of our sins, but he wants to restore the relationship with us. And I love verse 19. Ooh, verse 19, if you have your Bible, highlight this verse, okay? That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him. That means if I'm going to reconcile with someone, I need to stop counting people's sins against them. So put your shame journal away or burn it better and, and stop getting off this, mm-hmm, they did exactly what I thought they were going to do. And this, this idea of waiting for someone to fail, to prove that I was right about them the whole time, does not put you in a posture of building a bridge to that individual. So throw the shame journal away because thank goodness God threw his shame journal away or he never had one. And God doesn't do this for us, so why do we feel like we have the ability to do that for others? He continues, see this, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. I mean, this is an amazing thought that God has built a bridge for followers of Jesus Christ. He has built a bridge to you, and you have accepted this amazing gift of salvation. Isn't that amazing? That when you walked in this morning, maybe that's why y'all were singing so good this morning. You, you woke up this morning realizing that God has built a bridge to you, and he, is not, he had not put your sins and counted against you, but he has reconciled through his son, built the bridge, and now you stand forgiven, and that's why it's easy to sing about a beautiful name. Amen? Because what God has done for us, that's the reality. And because we live in that reality, there is something that we have to do. Because we have been forgiven, because we are people walking under the grace and the mercy of a God that built a bridge through Jesus to restore relationship, he says, now, verse 20, this is what I want you to do. And we are therefore Christ ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. Now, maybe if you're in church here and you would say, I'm not religious, you know, I'm, uh, in fact, I'm just here for the coffee and, and I'm, I'm glad you're here. And if you're here and you're just, I'm not religious, or I'm not a Christian, I would even say this, even though you haven't accepted it or accepted all of it, I would say this, God has built a bridge to you, whether you accept it or not, that he has built a bridge to you and all that's waiting on you is to accept this relationship with him. Isn't that awesome? It's built to you whether you accept it or not. The bridge has been built because of what Jesus did on the cross. I will get back to, not get back at. And then we talked about this uh, last week. I will own my slice of the blame pie. That's a pie that does not taste good. Amen, right? I will own my slice of the blame pie. In a sense, what we're saying is I will take responsibility for my part of what went wrong in the relationship. 
I will do my part. In fact, the Bible talked about, I will remove the log out of my own eye or the plank out of my own eye so I can see clearly in order to move towards you in a relationship with you. I will deal with my sense because as soon as I deal with me first, now it helps me with humility to approach the issues and the, and the problems that we had between us when I deal with me first, me before the we portion of this, when I look in the mirror. Reconciliation always starts in the mirror. And so we're going to be talking about the next two because you're like, Justin, it's, you're supposed to finish. And, and you got two more. we got two more to go here today. Can you all handle two in one Sunday? It's possible. I think I can do it. Uh, here's the third one. This is the teachings of what Jesus is teaching us to do this morning is in regards to restoring a relationship, I will make the first move regardless of who moved away first. I will make the first move regardless of who moved away first. You see, the most mature and healthy person should always be the person that makes the first move. And I just want to say, by default, I think you're the wisest, healthiest, and most mature person because you're sitting right here. And because you're sitting right here, I believe it's up to you to make that first move. And Jesus is going to teach us this. Jesus is going to teach us that it's our job to make the first move and, the, and he teaches this in such an inconvenient way. I mean, this verse is so inconvenient. This, this few verses is so inconvenient that you're going to sit there and go, are you sure we can't, like, translate this away or something? Like, there was something lost in translation. You're not going to want to do this verse. I'm, I'm guaranteed you're not going to want to do this. But this shows you the priority of what's on the heart of God in the midst of repairing relationships. Is it important to God? We're about to see how important. And so this is what Jesus does. He's, he gives this kind of like sermon illustration of something that they would understand in the first century. So he says this, and this is how he starts off in Matthew chapter 5. He says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, pause. <laughs> You're like, what? okay, where do we go? Because first of all, what gift are we talking about? And where's the altar? And what's an altar, right? What, what, what is this all about? So I want to give you kind of context of what does this verse setting, because we're not going to understand how this verse is applied until we understand what Jesus was talking about to the people there in the first century. So in the first century, uh, in fact, many centuries, you had uh, the Jewish faith was built upon this idea that everything centered around the temple. Or before the temple, it was called the tabernacle. But you had this temple. And the problem with the temple is that there's only one location. And so that's how you were to incorporate worship was in this one location. Now get this. For an entire nation, they would have to go to this place. So if you had a, a sin in your life, on, on the Day of Atonement, you would bring a sacrifice. And they would have this complex system to bring the sacrifice to atone your sin for that year, but you would have to go to one location, and could you imagine the line for an entire nation going to the temple? You think Disneyland has long lines. The temple had amazingly long lines, and it wasn't just that. It was pretty inconvenient because you had to get the family. I mean, for you, I mean, I got to applaud. Some of you have like four or five kids, and you brought them to church. I think you deserve like a gold medal, by the way, just saying that's a whole other thing, but 
Could you imagine if you had to get your kids ready for a trip to go to church? I mean, it's a whole thing. So it's long lines, get the whole family there. You got to make sure you have that sacrifice with you. And so you got to tie it up so it doesn't run away, you know, because the sacrifice isn't exactly excited about being a sacrifice. And so you're, you're bringing this to the temple and there's not just the sin offering is what we were talking about. But anytime you wanted to, if you woke up one morning and you're like, our crops are doing well. Our sheep are doing great. They're putting, producing a lot of wool. It's, a lot of things are happening. I want to praise God. They would feel this need to, I want to bring a sacrifice. And they would bring it to the temple as kind of a, a voluntary sacrifice to say, thank you, God, for all that you're doing. So this wasn't just one day a year. The temple was busy all the time. And when you got there, there was the ceremonial washing and all these different stuff, long lines. And so this is what Jesus was talking about. He says, when you, when you bring your gift, and it's not a sin offering, it's a gift. So it's a voluntary offering saying, I am so excited for what God is doing in my life that I want to bring this to the temple to sacrifice, to say, thank you, God, for all that you've done. It's in a sense a symbol of drawing near to God. It's voluntary. It's not the sin offering. It's a voluntary offering to say, God, I'm just so thankful for what you're doing in, in my life. It would be as if you woke up this morning, and you know how some mornings you're just ready to go to church? No, no, this never happened to anybody in here. They're like, no, Justin, I'm drug here. Um, no, no. And it's funny because the, the, when you wake up in the morning and you're ready to go to church, the rest of the house isn't ready to go to church and it becomes a thing, you know. But if you ever had that moment, you're like, I'm ready to go to church. I mean, maybe things were going well. Some things were happening at work, some positive things. Some, some, uh, you got maybe a, a, a refund, you know, for something. And, and just things are going well and you're like, I just want to go to church. I want to praise God. And when you come to church, you're like high-fiving people and they're like, who are you? You know, why are you giving me high-fives? And you're excited and you're coming to church. And when the, the worship starts, it's not even your favorite song that Mike is singing. But you're so fired up. You're like pumping your fist. And you're like, yeah, mm. You know, y'all ever done that? Got excited about church? Got a lot of melancholies here in the church right now. Um, all right. So, I mean, you're excited. And so maybe you can kind of put yourself in this, this first century scenario. This person's excited. They're drawing near to God. They're bringing their sacrifice to say, thank you, God, for all the blessings in my life. And they're waiting in a long line. And this is what Jesus says happens. And there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Screech. Uh-oh. Something's up. I'm waiting in this long line. With the sacrifice, the family's here, everybody's here, got the ceremonial clean, cleansing here, been waiting for hours and hours and hours. Get to the temple with a sacrifice, you know, this animal. We're going to say, thank you, God, for all that you've done. I'm trying to draw near to God. And Jesus says, and you remember, and Jesus is being purposefully ambiguous. I used to try to figure out what does it mean? What does that mean? Has something against you? Are they at fault? Are you at fault? Jesus doesn't say, and there's a reason for that. He's basically covering all unresolved conflict. 
He's like, I'm going to deal with all unresolved conflict. There's an issue. You're wanting, but, but, but Jesus, I'm trying to draw near to God. And Jesus says, but all of a sudden in line, you remember something has, someone has something against you. Jesus then says something that is so inconvenient, it's ridiculous. Verse 24, leave your gift there in front of the altar. Wait, 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 pause. First of all, the gift is an animal of some sort, right? Do animals stay anywhere? I have dogs living in our household. They don't even listen to me. So this animal that is thinking animals go in but don't come out, this is, this is not a fun time for the animal here. If I leave that animal in front of the altar, do you think that animal's going to stay? No. Jesus is saying, I want you to leave your gift. Wait, wait. First of all, the animal's going to run away. That's going to cost me something. And leave my gift there at the altar. What? It doesn't make any sense. And then he says in verse 24, it continues, first. So it says, first. Well, what do you want me to do, Jesus? First, he continues, go and be reconciled to them. <laughs> this is so inconvenient here. He says, you got up, got in line, ceremonial cleansing, left, you had the, you know, the animal, you're sitting there, you're waiting in line, you're waiting your turn, all of a sudden you realize there was a moment where I told my neighbor his sheep looked bad, you know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't help it. And... <laughs> And the neighbor took offense. You're making a funny. But you're in line and you feel like there's some unresolved conflict. Jesus is saying, leave what you're doing. Set that animal down. If that animal stays, set him down and go make it right and reconcile with them first. Now, for some of us, we're going to sit there and go, wait, 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 wait. I'm confused here. I'm bringing an offering to get draw close to God. Are you telling me, Jesus, that I need to put others in front of God? This is what Jesus would say to that. Jesus would say, this is how you put God first, by loving those that God loves. You want to do something fun for me? You, know, you, you want to love on me? If you love on my family, you love on me. And that's what God's saying is, I am so concerned with your relationships with one another. I would rather you live in this inconvenient situation where you have to leave the animal. Probably not going to stay. It's going to cost you two animals now. And you're going to have to go make it right, then go back in the line and go through the whole process again. Is it inconvenient? Absolutely. But this is why Jesus is saying, this is why it's so important. And then he continues and says, and then come and offer your gift if you can find it. You may have to get another. You see, what's happening here is that Jesus is trying to move his followers from living in a state of internalized religion. Do you know what internalized religion is? That I can do these things in my head but never have to fully practically live them out. As in I can... 
I can go to church and, and I can forgive someone in my head, but I can still avoid them at Walmart. I can go to church and sing songs, but then still have these issues with these other brothers and sisters. And, and, and Jesus is like, I am so concerned with your faith being lived out practically. I don't want you just to live in your head space. I want you, this is the illustration. So if you find yourself, you're ready for church, you're fired up. And Mike's singing, you're pumping your fist, and all of a sudden you remember, ooh, there's an issue. I've got an unresolved conflict. We're going to have a designated spot in this church. Just joking, we won't. But you, it's called the foyer. You can go into the foyer. All of a sudden you remember there's an, un, there's an unresolved conflict. Maybe the best thing for you to do is stop the hand pumping, go out to the lobby, make a phone call, or go visit that person. You think, Justin, that is absolutely inconvenient. Absolutely. But this is the height of what Jesus is saying, to take that which is our faith in a practical way. Because you can live all day and, and forgive them from a distance, but you can't restore and repair a relationship from a distance. Are you all ready for the last one, number four? You're like, oh, no, no, Okay. So I will make the first move, and regardless of who moved. And then number four, and this is a posture and a process that I will keep the door open and the welcome mat out. And we've kind of been saying that through the series, that that's what building a bridge looks like. Building a bridge looks like I'm going to keep the door open and the welcome mat out. Now, again, I want to preface that God told you to put the welcome mat out, not become the doormat. There's two totally different things. So you have to be careful on becoming someone's doormat. You, he's not called to be a doormat, but he's calling you to put the welcome mat out and the door open. And that's what the building the bridge. And this decision is not just a posture, it's a process. And I would say it's a daily process. Because I don't know about you, but once you build the bridge and you make the effort and you're like, hey, so... Are we good? And they're like, you know, uh, no thank you. I don't want to see your face again. You think, well, they did it. So on your way back, you're torching the bridge as you go back. But Jesus is saying, I want you to, I want you to live differently. He's calling us to live differently. I want you to keep the welcome mat out and the door open, whether they come across that bridge or not. And it's a daily decision. So my question to you is this. Have you taken the welcome mat in? And have you closed the door? Is there an unresolved conflict right now? Maybe with a parent, a mother or father, that seems, whether you'd like to admit it or not, it seems to be haunting your marriage right now? You have this unresolved conflict and it's the past is actually sabotaging, sabotaging the, the present? Or, or what about maybe you're divorced and you're like, wasn't my, it wasn't, wasn't my idea. They asked for the divorce and you're divorced and you're so hurt and maybe you were the one that was wronged and you're so hurt and you're tempted to punish them because you felt so hurt, so abandoned. And yet as you're in the process of wanting to punish them, you look over and you see your kids. Is this the time to bring and act revenge and justice? 
What does that look like? Or, or maybe you're a friend. And it's easy in a, in a world we live in to this cancel culture, to cancel this, cancel that person, and just write them off. Can you imagine what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to restore relationship in a cancel culture? How much more the light can shine in a dark place? So whatever you find yourself in, you're tempted to just shut the door, pull in the mat, and say, good luck with that. I never want to see you again. Could it be that on your heart, to repair that which is broken is to literally build a bridge? And though it's no guarantee, just like God building a bridge to you was no guarantee that you would accept his gift of salvation and his gift of reconciliation. What would it look like for you to build a bridge? What would it look like for you to get back to, not get back at? What would it look like to own your piece or the slice of the blame pie? What would it look like for you to make the first move regardless of who moved away first? And what would it look like to keep the door open and the welcome mat out as a daily decision? Now, I know this is complex. I know if you're like, well, Justin, you don't know my situation. You're exactly right. And dealing with repairing broken relationships can be so complex. It's so difficult to figure out, well, what's the right? And maybe these steps, though they're principles, may look a little bit different on how to practically live this out. But at the end of the day, don't you and I want to all have the same thing, a life of no regrets? That we don't have these things hanging in our past, these broken things, these broken relationships hanging in our past, always becoming kind of like the soundtrack for our future relationships. This narrative that of I was hurt and I can stay in this victim mindset. But don't you want to have more for your life? I guarantee you God wants more for your life. He says, if we want to come and live our life, he says, I want to give you life and life to the fullest He says, there is someone out there who wants to steal, kill, and destroy your life. But Jesus says, I want to come to give you that you might have life and have it in its abundance. So that's why in all of our relationships, we need to follow his his example. I got to be honest with you. This is one of those series I didn't want to preach. I was not happy about it not one of these things, begrudgingly. Have you ever preached something that you begrudgingly needed to preach? Okay, I was like the only one in that scenario. Okay, I get it now. Um, Yeah. But I got to tell you, there are some people in this church, I would consider them heroes. There are some heroes in this church that I am so thankful for that they have been living this out. And I want to let you know, you know who you are. That to this pastor, you have been a great example and someone I need to model after as I model after Jesus to say I need to do the same as they're willing to do. To model this restoring relationships. And I, and I got to say, thank you for being such a model for me. But as we're talking, and we were talking about earlier in the message, about be reconciled to God. I want to talk about an invitation. 
Because I got to be honest with you, I really want you to be reconciled with your parent or your brother or sister or your really close friend. But I got to be honest with you. The person I want you most reconciled with is God. I want you reconciled with God. And, and, and will you allow me to kind of do what 2 Corinthians 5 is telling me to do? Will you allow me to be Christ, a Christ ambassador this morning and make an appeal as though God is making an appeal to you, maybe, who, and implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled with God? And, and I don't know your story. I mean, maybe you're sitting there going, well, I'm not a Christian, I'm just here for my friend's sake, or I'm, I'm not religious, you know, I'm just, I'm just here, just hanging out with some friends. But I don't know what your story is. I don't know if you used to be a Christian, but something happened, and usually that kind of is the story a lot. Maybe that's your story. Something happened, and it was something that's a terrible situation, and you blame God that whole situation, an, un- an untimely death, a, a terrible circumstance. And instead of looking at the evil or terrible circumstances, what it is, you blame God. And I, and I get it, and I understand that. Or you were just doing your own thing long enough that you forgot about God. Or you were hurt by a Christian or a church. Can, can I tell you, I get that. And, I, and I'm sorry for that Christian that hurts you or that church that hurts you. Uh, I, here's a secret. Churches are made up of people. People are messy, and people make mistakes, and people say stupid things, and people are insensitive sometimes, and, and people are dealing with their own stuff that sometimes you get the overflow of their mess, right? Just, just be careful about going to any perfect church because you will mess it up if you attend, right? So just, just say, and I know what's happened sometimes is it's easy to resist God because you have this narrative. You blame him, or you blame the Christians, or you blame the church. But would you be willing to reconsider and stop resisting and rehearsing that narrative about God? And can I just tell you that though you left him, God never stopped building a bridge to you. And he continues to build a bridge to you. Whether you admit it or not, he sends people your way that reminds you how much he loves you and it's like it's, you're getting annoyed by it because you're like, God, I, I want you out of my life and God doesn't take no for an answer. He keeps pursuing. And maybe this morning, this is just a reminder that God is pursuing you. And can I tell you, I don't. it's very difficult to repair a broken relationship, but it gets easier when you have repaired your relationship with your heavenly father. And when you cross that bridge and you accept Jesus' gift of salvation to restore a relationship to him, he doesn't just want you forgiven. He wants to be in a relationship with you. And so if we can, if we could bow our heads at this time, I'm just going to offer that. I don't know what your story is. I don't know if you're ready to make that decision. And maybe you're sitting there and you're like, well, Justin, I'm still figuring out six days of creation. I'm still trying to figure out a worldwide flood. And I'm like, set that to the side. I just want you to think about what Jesus has done for you. Died on a cross, built a bridge to restore a relationship with you. 
and maybe to accept it this morning. I'm just going to say a prayer, and I invite you, if you want, to just kind of internalize this prayer and kind of accept this amazing gift, this bridge being built towards you by your heavenly Father. Dear Heavenly Father, there are people that are here. Lord, maybe they're running from God, from you, or they're blaming you, or they're blaming a church, or blaming Christians, and maybe there's a narrative that's just running like a soundtrack in their mind, and Jesus, you died on the cross for all of us, whether we accepted it or not. That you are for us, God, you sent Jesus to us to save us, whether we even accept it or not. And so, Lord, for some of us, maybe there's a decision we're making right now to make you Lord and Savior of our life. Forgive us of our sins. We realize this doing this life on our own is not fun, and it's not what we're meant to do. And so we feel like there's something, there's a, there's a hole in our heart. And so, Lord, will you come into our heart? Will you come into our life? Will you lead us and guide us? We accept what you did on the cross as payment for our sin. And we accept that the tomb is empty, Jesus, because you rose from the dead to give us victory over sin. Come into our life and shape us and change us from the inside out. And we give you all the glory and all the praise. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And thank you for your gift of love. That you have reconciled the world to yourself. Thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Can we stand up to our feet? Awesome, awesome, awesome. All right, I want you to find four people and tell them you get better looking each week. And we'll see you next week.